Welcome to Sound of Truth Weekly Interview, where we hear about how God is at work in people's lives and in the world today. We're excited you've joined us. Here's our host, Brett Marani. Greg Marks is the pastor, senior pastor, lead pastor. I don't know which term you use there, Greg, at uh, Pecan Grove Baptist Church in suburban Houston, Texas. So which one do you use? What what title do you prefer there at Pecan Grove? I, I, I tell people, call me whatever you want to call me. <laughs> hey, there you go. I like that. Greg, would, by the way, Greg, welcome back to Sound of Truth Weekly Interview. Go ahead and, and share with uh, our listeners what you said to me as to what you would like to spend some time uh, chatting about today. Sure. Well, it was just, it's been on my heart lately. As, as the last time we talked, all those things were on my heart during that time as well. I'm just thinking about 2024 and that this year has the potential of being a, a, a very difficult year for the church in America. And, and what I mean by that is, is because of the, the presidential politics, some of the things that have been divisive in the past are going to even become more and more so. And uh, I think it's really going to be a test for the church in America this year. And I've kind of had on my heart, I shared this with, with our congregation a few weeks ago, a commitment that I'm making to them, that, that I'm making to every believer in Jesus Christ that I know and those that I'll meet. <laughs> uh, and it goes something like this. I'm, I'm making this commitment that I commit to my brothers and sisters in Christ, that they are more important to me than political outcomes or political leaders. And I'm making that commitment as in anticipation of, of, of the tension that may happen this year with, with presidential politics and how some of that creeps into the church. And I think it's important to, to just make that decision now before those things happen. Would you say political preferences? Yes. I mean, I think all of that goes along, goes along with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I said political outcomes and political leaders because there will be a political outcome in 2024. And we we hope. Politi- <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> True. And remember 2000, and, and there it, will it extended be, quite a while to know for sure exactly. who won the election. So. But also political leaders, because they're going to be dominating our discourse. Other than Taylor Swift, the political leaders are going to be <laughs> dominating <laughs> the discourse uh, this year. And I even, a few weeks ago, when I uh, shared this with the congregation, I, I, I put two faces on the screen, uh, one former president, one current president, <laughs> and, and said that these two men are going to dominate our lives this year or have the potential to dominate our lives this year. And, and I challenged our people, may it not be so, may our lives not be dominated by them or the things that surround them, but may our lives be dominated by the things that Jesus wants our lives to be dominated by. Mm-hmm. And That's so, a good word. So we're, we're just going to assume here, just recording here, the end of January 2024, the, the two images on the screen that you put up, I suppose, were the, as you have said, two men will be dominating our lives are the presumptive nominees for both the Democratic and Republican Party. We're talking about President Biden and former President Trump. So yes, we can say that we can say their names. Yeah, let's go ahead and say their names. So uh, (laughs) both of these men are established. They're not new. They're not, there's no real mystery to these. They're not, we don't have a, someone who kind of rose from nowhere that is just very charismatic in front of the camera and everybody is putting their hopes that this guy's going to be this incredible politician. In many ways, we know both of these men in terms of who they are and what they do. So because of that, I would say 
there are very strong opinions formed on both both of these guys, and those f- strong opinions don't just extend party to party; they extend into our churches. And so you've got dialogue in churches, small groups, or Sunday school classes, or life groups, or whatever you want to call it in your church. People are going to talk about these things, and as shepherds, we are concerned about this, and I share your concern. And part of it is because what we've seen in the past, going back to 2016 or even before, but especially in 2020, right? I mean, is, is part of you, you cringed through the past, and now you're, you're like bracing f- for the future? Is that where you're at, Greg? I think, I think in part, yes. Um, I think I really saw things becoming divisive in the church around 2015. You know, that that presidential election season leading up to 2016, I saw people breaking within the body over the over their political opinions. And and, and again, my commitment about my brothers and sisters in Christ are more important to me than political outcomes or political leaders doesn't mean that I don't have political opinions. And it doesn't mean that our political opinions always have to line up or or agree. It's more of a value statement. I value you more than my political opinions or your political opinions. I see value in you beyond that. I don't think I've ever forgotten a moment that happened 2015 or 16, again, right in the middle of the, that presidential election, when I saw an article that a Christian Facebook friend of mine posted that was basically slamming Max Lucado, you know, the pastor from San Antonio, Max Lucado, who's popular author, prolific, yeah. popular author, because he had basically said something that was basically saying that he wasn't lining up with, with Trump as president. And so Max Lucado basically, in some way or another, spoke out against Trump. And the article was just slamming Max Lucado because he was anti-Trump or what have you. And um, I, I, I did a little research. It wasn't that Max Lucado was, was being unchristian towards Trump or that he was calling Trump names or that he was just saying he disagreed with him, the idea of him being president. And in that moment, it hit me that here's a brother in Christ who's given his life in service to Christ, proclamation of the gospel, has written numerous books that have helped, have encouraged people's walk with Christ. And all of a sudden, a presidential candidate is more important to a believer than another believer, another brother in Christ. And I didn't understand at that moment, why are we breaking over this? Why are we looking at each other as enemies because of this person who's running for president? And and the same could be on, from the other party, a candidate from the other party as well. It didn't set right in the moment. And I've never forgotten that moment, Brett. I've, I have carried that moment with me for the last how many years? If that was 2016, <laughs> was that eight years? that I've carried that moment with me. And I think moments like that kind of inform my thinking when I make this kind of commitment to my brothers and sisters in Christ, because I, I mean it. I, I try very hard to be sincere about it. My brothers and sisters in Christ are more important to me than whoever's running for president and whoever wins the presidency. And even just numerous numbers of, of government policy and, and, and debatable issues. And, and I think I, the reason I feel that way is I think that's the way Christ wants us to feel about each other as, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And and I think there's some pretty strong scriptural foundation for that. Yeah, so let's go ahead and go to the Word on this. What what passage comes to your mind or verses or verse comes to your mind immediately for you on this topic? Love one another. 
And when I say that, it almost sounds trite, right? You know, uh, just, you know, here we are just talking about loving each other and how watered down that sounds. But I think some of the most well-known and familiar teachings of Jesus that are also the most, some of the most important teachings of Jesus are the ones that we struggle with or that we, we have trouble remembering the most. And I think his teaching on love one another is front and center. In, in John 13, he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. He's talking to us, his disciples. Just as I've loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And then he goes on, he continues. He didn't, he didn't just leave it at that and move on to something else the night before his crucifixion. And he circles back around to it. In John 15, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friend. And, and I think his teaching on us loving each other is both important as it relates to our own relationship in the body as being adopted into his family, right, as brothers and sisters, but also it, for the strategic aspect of it of this is how people are going to know that you're my people if you love each other. In other words, he's saying they'll know you're mine and they'll know you're following me if you love each other this way. And, and he doesn't say they'll know you love me if your doctrine is pure. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that Jesus doesn't, think, doesn't want us to have pure doctrine. I believe he does. But he's, he's not even pointing to that. You know, he's not even pointing to, you know, any of a number of things that might take our attention and seem very, very important. He says, if you love each other, if you love one another, everybody, all people will know that you're my disciples. They know that you belong to me. And, and I think we run the risk of pulling people's attention away from, from the true gospel because of these other things and because the world around the church sees the church disagreeing over things that sometimes even the world around the church knows are not worth disagreeing over. Mm-hmm. And, Although a lot of the world doesn't know that, and, and, and a lot of the world is divisive on these things as well. I think the world, under, I think the world knows some of the teachings. You know, mm-hmm. I think they know Jesus said, love one another. I don't believe they understand the depth and the importance of it the way a Christ follower can. And even connecting that to Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You know, when you think about priorities in that passage in Matthew 6, when he says all these things will be added to you, he's talking about basic human needs, need for food, need for drink, need for clothing, is what he mentions there in that passage. So he's saying seek God's kingdom first and live righteously, and all these things will be provided to you or taken care of to you. And and Again, as a means of prioritizing our focus, he's saying focus on the kingdom and focus on right living. Don't focus on any of a number of things that might seem very important, like food, <laughs> mm-hmm. like clothing. Yeah, it's focus uh, issues. Like, yeah, exactly. Like border security, <laughs> like gun legislation, like school curriculum, like any of cultural issues that might be popping up, like the economy, like gas prices, you know, any of a number of things, right? Mm-hmm. He's saying, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and, and all these things will, will, will be taken care of. And, 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 I, and I think, again, the, the, the things I just mentioned are very important things. None of them are more important than loving each other as Jesus commands us to love each other. And when we, when we love each other that way, it, the world will be more likely to follow Jesus because they see us following Jesus. 
And, and when we sacrifice John 13, that those love passages for other things, we've lost. We, we've lost. And, and that's my concern when we start belittling other Christians because they vote differently, when we start uh, attacking other Christians because they fail to support this policy or they have a different opinion on this policy or they fail to pro- promote certain candidates who have the right, quote, right views on different policies. We've lost. I think we, we don't realize that the bigger issue is that we're not loving each other more than whether or not certain political outcomes happen. Mm-hmm. Well, let me let me bring a very specific uh, application home, hopefully, for this and, and getting your opinion on this. Multiple times in the past few years, I've heard Christians make this statement. I don't see how a person can be a Christian and be a Democrat. I understand where they're coming from. They're so passionate about issues of life, for example. It, it's troubling to me. I think sometimes what they're trying to say is just how much they strongly disagree with the opposite party's platform, but it comes across as being judgmental of that person themselves. See the emphasis difference there. Well, it's a very strong statement. It's a very strong statement. Have you heard and it as well? Is it just me? I have. I have. I've, I've heard it recently. Um, and it. And sometimes it's not just about abortion. Sometimes it's extended to other issues that are, I think you and I would consider to be lesser issues than abortion. I think abortion, well, quite frankly, it's a life and death issue. So I think it's a yeah, pretty and important I don't, issue. I don't know that I've ever voted for a pro-choice candidate. Seriously. I mean, that's right, huge right. for me. But I don't like saying, it, if you vote for a pro-choice candidate— you're not saved or, or the passions well, we, there this, this, this is strong, but, but this goes back to loving, right? Right. Well, and, and I was about to say the same thing. It's, it's, I have great respect for the passion. I've known people who have been passionate pro-life supporters who have, have done a lot of things other than just talk <laughs> with their, with their passion. They've supported crisis pregnancy centers and they've worked in those places and they've helped counsel women who were pregnant, you know, towards adoption or any of a number of things, or they've adopted themselves, or they've been fought, they've, they've gone into, you know, supported foster care. And all this sometimes comes from a pro-life ethic. Mm-hmm. And, and I have great respect for people who have that, that, that passion. And I do believe in some cases, it's that passion that leads them to say things like, I just can't believe someone can be a Christian and be a Democrat. I think even so, we, we, we don't have as much room for nuance that I think sometimes we should. We certainly tend to make snap judgments based on information that is limited. We don't know everything there is to know about how a person votes or whether or not a why a person lines up here or there. Not every Democrat is pro abortion. Even if they even if they tend to vote pro choice, they may not be for certain kinds of abortion happening other than maybe in the case of, of life threatening situation for the mother or, or rape or incest or something like that. So, so I understand the passion, but I'm I'm with you, Brett. I I think it is it is a dangerous place to go when we start saying I don't believe you can be a Christian and this because you and I know that the only reason a person can be considered to be a Christian is not because of anything they've done. That's right. It's because of what Jesus Christ did on their behalf when He died. A sinless man died on a on a on a Roman cross and paid the penalty for their sin that they could never pay themselves because they could never be good enough. They could never work hard enough to earn it. And it was an act of pure 
absolute grace. And the only reason why that person is a Christian is because of what Christ did and because of their faith and trust in Him. And yes, I do believe repentance plays into that as well, uh, turning to God and away from sin. But to make a blanket statement like that, judging somebody just because of their political affiliation, even if it has to do with their stance on abortion, I think is a very dangerous ground for us to, to walk. And though I understand sometimes where people are coming from when they say that, I, I don't agree with it. I do think that there is fruit to be seen, but I think you have to know a person to understand where they really stand more than just a blanket statement about everybody who's this means they can't be a true Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, well, until I know everybody, I don't think I can make that statement. <laughs> that's really good, Greg. I, going to John 13, like you did with the love one another, and how do you know how to love one another? Well, just go to First Corinthians chapter 13. I know it's in the context of spiritual gifts, but it's also mm-hmm. great to, to go ahead and go beyond the scope of that subject to all relational aspects uh, of how to love. And love believes all things. I've read, mm-hmm. I've preached on that mm-hmm. several times. I've read numerous commentaries on it. I believe if you know, at some point I looked at the Greek with it and everything. It's pretty well generally accepted. That means you're going to you're going to believe the best in your brother or sister that instead of the worst. Yes. And when someone says, well, for example, let's just let's say you're in a conservative leaning or or most of the people in your church are conservative, both theologically and politically. And you you make I'm not saying you or me, but someone says, you know, I think I'm going to vote for Biden. I can't stand Trump and economy's doing well and all that. Instead of immediately condemning this person and saying, well, I don't see how they can be a Christian or they're not walking with the Lord or they're not walking in the spirit. I think love warrants saying, I'm going to believe the best in my, my brother or sister on this. And I want to hear out their reasons. And I may not agree with them, may disagree strongly, but I'm not going to condemn them. I'm going to love them. And that's what we're going to face in 2024. I think it is. And by the way, Jesus is teaching on love and especially to us to love each other is very hard. I mean, it's very hard. It's not easy. I don't think it was meant to be easy. And I think we tend to, the, the reason why we struggle with love is because sometimes it's not easy and anything that's not easy, we, we kind of drop. That's why marriages end, right? Because mm-hmm. love got hard and so it's just easier to just quit. Right. Um, and, and I think that teaching, it doesn't take a pol- political election year for that to be tested. I think that's tested often in, in the life of the church. And if you've been in church a while, you know that's the case. But but the real enemy is Satan. And he knows how to stop us from being about God's kingdom. And he knows how to stop us from glorifying Christ. He knows how to stop us from being productive and moving forward in the ways that Christ wants us to, to live the life that Christ wants us to. And I think it's important for us to just start looking at people as people. Mm-hmm. I think we far too often, There's too especially much I, now, the whole identity thing has gone beyond we've the talked child about of God. That. Yeah, exactly. It's identity. We got to start looking at our brothers and sisters as Christ as that. Mm-hmm. He's my brother. She's my sister, and not as enemies to be beaten or to mm-hmm. be proven wrong. And not saying that these things aren't important, but. Um, few weeks ago when I shared with our congregation, I think there's really, we have to, we have to orient ourselves to two identity things. First is every human being on this planet was created in God's image. And that, that means believer or unbeliever. It doesn't matter the race, the age, the location, the economic standing, their, their belief system, what have you, their, their gender, or even if they fail to embrace the gender that God gave them. Mm-hmm. Every human being on this planet was created in God's image. 
and we need to see each other that way. As I've said before, quoting somebody else who said it a long time ago, probably, you'll never look into the eye of someone who isn't loved by God. Mm. And so every every set of eyes that you look at, look into, represents somebody who's loved by God. And then the other part of that is, is we as Christians have to see each other as we really are. We're brothers and sisters. This is our identity. So much of this is identity politics, and identity politics has taken over. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and quite frankly, we've allowed certain voices to dictate to us what should be important or not. And I think my heart as a pastor, as I know your heart is as well, is as pastors, we need to be saying, this is what's important. This is what's most important. Not saying that other things are not important. They are, and they can be. And we might disagree on some of those things. And some of those things, even um, denominations have divided over them, right? Certainly. And you know, we're going through this with Southern Baptists right now with different different issues. And it's okay to have the debates and make decisions based on that, but that, that doesn't mean that we are free or are exempted from loving each other. And and that's why I go back to that commitment. It's, it, we have to be intentional about it. I'm going to commit to, to other believers, and quite frankly, I, I would extend this to people who were not believers as well, that they're more important to me than political outcomes or political leaders. And I think it's going to take that for the church. Now, now I keep talking about 2024, but you and I know it's not going to stop after 24 is over. Sure, it <laughs> may just continue to intensify. We, we don't know. It, but it, we, we've we got to really latch on to the verse where it says, you know, where Jesus said that you're, they are going to know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. I mean, that's it. Yeah. I mean, Jesus could have said a lot of other things there, but he didn't. He said, this is it. And by the way, when he calls this a new commandment, he had affirmed the previous commandments, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So he'd already affirmed the commandments that were already there. When he says a new commandment I give to you, I don't know that he's saying, you've never heard it said to you before that you should love other people. No, I, I don't think that's what he meant there. He's talking about the church. But I'm giving you this because you're my church. Love one another. And this is what's going to make the difference as to whether or not people understand and know that you're following it. Well, and as a, a strong believer in, in the distinction between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, I think that he's saying it to a group of people that will be able to do it. Whereas I think under the Old Covenant, God's people just kept failing and failing and failing to keep the commandments. And now you have the Spirit of God coming to dwell within. So there's no excuse. You know, we, we as believers have... Christ in us, the hope of glory, and it's a it's a different ball game than the Old Testament saints, the way they lived and, and how they lived, and and it can be even seen just in the fact that God tolerated polygamy through the Old Testament among some of His you know key leaders. I heard years and years ago a pastor say, "Don't ever compare yourself." You know, so often we as Christians, I think it was in relationship to David and his his horrific sins of murder and adultery, uh, of course, opposite order, adultery and then murder. He's like. Quit using David as an excuse to do horrific things as believers. He said, you're, you've got the Spirit of God living in you. You know, David <laughs> had the Spirit of God come upon him for certain tasks, but it was a different ballgame the, under the Old Covenant. And Jesus really emphasized just, I mean, we're living under the New Covenant where it's described in the Old Testament as, you know, previously you had the law written on, you know, pages. On, I'm going to write it on your hearts. You know, you're going to be different. It's, it's a new ballgame. We have a tremendous yeah. advantage over the Old Testament saints in terms of being able to live out the commandments of God. Um, any final thoughts for you on this topic before we wrap it up? Well, 
I have to follow up on what you just said because it was so good. I think the Holy Spirit is everything, right? I mean, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit is, is, when I said this is very hard, it is, but this Holy Spirit is a difference maker. I cannot love you this way without the Holy Spirit. It requires the Holy Spirit life in me and the love that comes from God that is, is, is given to me and through me for us to, for me to love you this way. And when we talk about fruit, someone says, I, you can't be a Christian and be a Democrat. Well, instead of going in that direction, I go to these words, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's how I can determine whether or not a person is walking by the Spirit. And guess what? If they're walking by the Spirit, they're the real deal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because you, you cannot call yourself a follower of Christ if you do not have the Spirit of God in, in that sense. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's, that's where our focus should be. And I know a lot of brothers and sisters who, who aren't demonstrating those things to each other or even to me from, sometimes, from time to time. But again, I think the idea is we have to value each other above so many other things that try to get between us. And we don't always see those things as important as they are, meaning those, those issues as being divisive, that that being as important a thing as it is. It is hindering the spread of the gospel in our culture because the world around us is saying, I don't want to hear that gospel because you guys are this, you guys are that. You're, 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 I see you guys fighting. Why do I want to live like that? I, we fight in my world. So why do I want to join your world? Because you're doing the same thing. So here's my, my final additional thought is when Christians become so passionate that they begin to judge other Christians in election years and over political things, I have to ask the question, where's your trust and, and what world are you living for? And what makes you think that God is going to bring his kingdom through a president or through Washington or through any political body? Yes, they can do good things and we're for that and hope they will. Let's pray for our, our representatives, our our senators, our governors, our political officials, that they would pursue righteousness and its godly leadership is wonderful for a nation. Yes, we want all those things, but ultimately what we need more than anything else is the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ in people's hearts and lives. And think about the first century context. You had the Sons of Thunder, two of Jesus' disciples. They wanted to overthrow the Roman government. That's what they were all about. They were so zealous for that. And Jesus is like, my kingdom's not of this world. We're not going to overthrow the Roman government. I'm going to come and establish a new kind of government, which is me reigning in the hearts as king of people. And that's where ultimate change is going to occur, is in hearts. And so be passionate about that. Be more passionate about that than about getting your guy in the White House. So Absolutely. And by the way, I've, I've already preached this on a Sunday in our church. I'm not planning to preach this again. <laughs> yeah, okay. I, I'm preaching through the book of Acts right now. I don't want this to be constant chatter. You know, I said it once for emphasis and saying we need to talk about this, but that's the other part of this is that I don't want to model to the congregation, man, this political stuff is everything. So we got to talk about it all the time. No, <laughs> no. Yeah, that's a good word. Hey, we got to wrap there's it up. A moment, there's a moment to talk about it. That's right. Greg, thank you so much. Appreciate you coming on here and talking about an important topic, but not the most important topic. Although we did hit on the most important topic, the kingdom of God and Christ crucified and risen. So bless you, brother. Thanks so much, Brett. I love you. Love you too, man. <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sound of Truth Podcast. If you enjoyed it, please rate and review it. Also, tell your friends about it. Thanks.
Music is by Canon and is used by permission. Sound of Truth is produced in collaboration with Harvest Jacksonville and is copyrighted by Brett A. Morani, 2024.